Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry to help you do church better. I'm your co-host, John Ronaldo, and I am joined here, as always, by the one and only Mr. Christopher Wesley. Chris, how are you on this fine day? Uh, I am doing well. Uh, it is the summertime, so, you know, like... Uh... What, what, what's there not to be happy about, right? Like cookouts and um, trips, well, you know, limited trips, of course, and, and everything like that. And uh, just being outside. And I, I know like we're still all practicing, uh, you know, social, uh, well, safe distancing and, you know, and everything along those lines, but it's still summertime. And so it, it's that time where, you know, mentally, maybe emotionally, we get to take a step back. But then at the same time, John, and I know it's a part of our topic today, there's that lingering feeling of like, what's going to happen in six weeks or two months for some of us, depending on, you know, when school starts back up. And because those of us in formation, uh, especially for children and youth, uh, you know, we're starting to think about that. But at the same time, what's also on my mind is this this new document coming out, or it, it's already come out, right? I mean, we, we can say it's officially released, even though it's not in our hands. And I know, John, you were very excited about it because you texted me about it. And that's the <laughs> new directory on catechesis, right? And so yeah. my summertime is not going to necessarily be relaxing because there's lots of planning. We're going to talk more about that in future episodes. But hopefully something that's going to give us guidance, right, is this new directory. Why don't you tell people a little bit more about it? Because I feel like you're, you're definitely more equipped and attuned to these documents that, and these uh, directives that come out from your, uh, just your uh, diocesan days, as well as just the fact that you're, you're the more learned of the two of us. So, so. <laughs> well, I, w- I wouldn't agree with that statement, but no, I, I am excited and it'll be interesting to see the, the Vatican has released uh, their, their newest version called the Directory of Catechesis, uh, which will be available to purchase. And I don't think it's shipping until like July 24th, 2020. Yeah. So we don't have an actual copy in our hands yet, but of course it made a splash here at the end of June uh, as the Vatican and, and, and other bishops and cardinals kind of weighed in in terms of, of what this new directory is. Now, just for some history, uh, post-Vatican II, uh, they developed the, the first directory for catechesis back in 1971, uh, and then they did an, a, a, next, a second version called the General Directory for Catechesis in 1997. Uh, and so periodically, the, the Vatican has been updating this document over time. And again, this is not the catechism of the Catholic Church. So it's talking about the, 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 the teachings of the church. This is uh, really about methodology and how we go about forming people in the faith uh, in terms of how we develop catechists, what are some models, what are some strategies and things like that. And, and I think it's really good. I think it's really wise that the Vatican can take a look at the, the quote-unquote signs of the times, to quote Vatican II, uh, you know, and really start to analyze and, and really rework because we know, Chris, you and I have talked about this over many episodes, is, is the strategies that we used in previous years don't necessarily work today. So, we don't talk about changing what we teach. We talk about changing how we teach it and how we evangelize. And that's what this particular document is all about. Uh, and so if you're interested in getting a copy of it, I know the, you know, the U.S. bishops are selling it at usccb.org. Uh, I think it's $24.99 or something like that. But, uh, but I am excited about it because it, it's the Vatican, you know, just constantly being aware of what's changing, what's out there, and how do we respond differently to these changing times. And, and I am particularly excited about delving into this because what I've heard so far, Chris, is really intriguing in terms of 
uh, in terms of, I think, personally, really challenging the field of ministry and to think differently about how we go about catechesis. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, in particular, um, uh, we're going to talk about the three obstacles that have been named to effective evangelizing catechesis. And so I'm excited about delving into that topic today. And I'm sure, Chris, we'll probably have other episodes as we garner other wisdom from this document in the future. But this Consider this your, your teaser to the new directory for catechesis. Yeah, because as soon as we read it, we might be like, oh my gosh, this is a piece of junk. You know, look at this rag, you know, but no. Uh, but well, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to dive into it. I'm definitely looking forward to, to reading it myself um, uh, for, for many different reasons, not just for, uh, you know, personal ministry reasons, but marathon and, and you know, helping people navigate through it. Um, and, and I mean, but John, we're, we're right that when we hear this um, uh, directory on, on catechesis, it's not necessarily directed towards just children's and youth catechesis. This is catechesis as a whole and, and talking about just how we're looking at it all together. So um, I know there's a lot of times, at least, and maybe I'm speaking from my own experience, where that's where I default to, right, is young, for, uh, young people formation um, and young people catechesis opposed to just the entire globe of like what this looks like in a parish setting and in a uh, universal and domestic church setting as well. Um, so, and John's shaking his head. Yes. In affirmation of that. So. <laughs> yes, I am. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the reality is, you know, and, and our documents say it, adult faith formation needs to be really at the core, a lot of what we do as parishes. Uh, and I don't suspect that this document is, is going to move away from that. If anything, it's probably going to double down on that reality. Uh, from what I've heard so far, they do spend a lot of time talking about adult faith formation as well. But we know, I mean, you know, Chris, a lot of our efforts here in parishes, certainly in the U.S., which is my experience, uh, is focused on youth and children. And, and uh, I think it's really interesting that in in the press release for this new directory for catechesis, the uh, Archbishop Reno, if I'm going to say this right, uh, Fischiella, you know, he is the president of the Pontifical Council for Promoting New Evangelization. He made some comments on June 25th um, <clears throat> about the Directory for Catechesis. And what's really interesting is, although the adult piece to this is so important, his comments really garner back to how we're doing children's and youth faith formation. Uh, and he really challenged us to think differently. And he names these three obstacles, which... I think actually are, are really right on. So I don't know, Chris, I think we should delve into these three obstacles and, and really talk this through a little bit. Are you ready for that? Yeah, let, let's do it. Let's do it. So what's the first obstacle that uh, they talk about? Well, the first obstacle, I, you know, just to provide some context here is uh, another, he says that another new feature of the directory is the link between evangelization and the catechumen and its various meanings. Okay. And, and he's talking about the need for pastoral conversion. So here's what he said. He says the first obstacle that can be identified to good catechesis is the school model. Okay, so he says this. The first obstacle can be identified in the school model according to which the catechesis of Christian initiation is undertaken under a school paradigm. The catechist replaces the teacher. The school classroom becomes the catechetical room. I just, I, when I read that, Chris, I just smiled because I'm sitting there going, Yes, yes, this is what we've been talking about. This whole idea that one of the first obstacles is this idea that it's done in a class. And, and I have always, 
my issue with the classroom model is always focused on the head knowledge, right? You know, versus, versus the heart knowledge, right? We have focused in this church more on, on what we know versus who we know, which is really Christ, right? And so I just love that we're, we're not being subtle anymore and we're just naming it. And I just appreciate his willingness to throw that out there. It's like the classroom model is an obstacle to effective catechesis. But, you know, like, to be fair, um, and, and I agree with you, right? Because, and this is something that I've written about, we've talked about, you know, in moving from the classroom model to, to other models. But to be fair, you got to look at how high um, the world, like, holds up higher education and classroom education, right? Universities, the university system, uh, you know, just even you look at private schools, things like that, and, and how the classroom is considered this, like, um, uh, I don't know if I'll use the right word here, but utopia of, like, of, of learning, right? And so, you know, we as the church, you know, this is where, you know, we, we, um, we lose sight of our identity. <clears throat> it, we grasp onto that as well. Because if you look at how people learn today, it's so much different than how people learned 50 years ago, hundred years ago, where there was more apprenticeships, right? Where there was more um, communal experiential sort of learning. And now a lot of learning, not just in, in, in with catechesis, but in church, uh, there is, it's so much more classroom. So like you, I am glad that they're addressing this, even though this has been stated in so many different ways, the, the, and I agree, it is an obstacle. It, I think this is going to be one of the more difficult obstacles because um, this is going to be re requiring, like, for us to think about so many different things. One, environments, right? Uh, you know, even if we try to do a small group model or more experiential models, a lot of us hold catechesis in an actual classroom, right? If we have a school attached to our parish, it's in a classroom. One, one of the things that my uh, our director of family ministry and I talk about is how difficult it is to do small group ministry for youth or, or, or kids because the only space we have on campus are classrooms. Um, so there's environmental. Um, the other thing is the distribution of information, right? Um, how much of our catechesis is given in textbook form? Or even if it's digital, it still is like a digital textbook form, you know? Um, in that regards as well. And so those are two of the, the factors that I think really fuel that obstacle. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, or if there's other things you would add to that um, to create this first obstacle as, as so difficult. Yeah, I mean, the obstacle is, is this is the way we've always done it, right? And, mm -hmm. and again, you look at the history of the church, the Catholic church, especially in the United States, as it was an immigrant church for, for all, all intents and beings, was really... Every Catholic, when they migrated to the United States, was enrolled in Catholic school, right? That was the model, right? And so as, as Catholics started to not be in Catholic school, that's when parish ministry started to, to need to respond because we didn't have kids in school anymore. So what was the default mechanism? We replaced what we did in Catholic school and do it at the parish. So right. the history makes sense. And I understand kind of where we're at today. Uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that history because history is important to know. But it's, it's the challenge is how do we change that? You're right. And I think, I think it will be really interesting to see how publishers, for instance, and how our U.S. bishops will respond to this because I think this requires a paradigm shift for folks. Um, and I don't think it's going to be an easy paradigm shift. I, I don't pretend that, that 
I think people are going to be moving from this kicking and screaming, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how the, how the publishers out there who are so used to providing quote unquote textbooks uh, are, are going to respond. And I think that's going to be very different, but, but I think uh, we, it's something we have to respond to. Yeah. Yeah. We, but we can both agree that it's not on the, like, this is the other thing too, is it's not on the publishers to change the culture, right? Like, and that, that, that's where a lot of people get, they blame the publishers. And, and this is what happens, right? When we face obstacles is our natural inclina inclination is to look outward on who we blame instead of, you know, saying like, okay, how can I change? So, you know, we're going to blame our pastors. We're going to blame, you know, the bishops. We're going to blame our publishers, you know, along those lines and, and say like, well, they're giving us the textbooks, you know, they're giving us all those materials when, um, you know, I, I love when you go to the USCCB and, and look up catechesis. It says catechesis also involves the lifelong effort of forming people into witnesses to Christ and opening their hearts to the spiritual transformation given by the Holy Spirit, right? You know, nowhere in their like definition is there, uh, you know, uh, having them, you know, log a certain amount of service hours or, uh, you know, read a certain amount of chapters or be able to, you know, um, hit a quota on like testing standards or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, teaching people how to, how to witness, meaning live out um, the gospel and, and live out um, what it means to follow Christ. Yeah, but there are still places out there that still do, quote unquote, testing, right? You know, uh, to make sure that they know the knowledge and, and whatnot. And, and that's really a product of the Baltimore catechist, catechism way back in the day, right? Where you had to memorize, you know, these things. And, and that's fine. That is what it is. And I'm not against memorization of, of, you know, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit or the Ten Commandments or all that stuff. But that's stuff that now we can easily Google, right? Where we didn't have that ability to Google that information before. So now that all information is really at our fingertips, and yes, we need to analyze where the information is coming from and learn to discern what's a good site versus a bad website, you know? Uh, the, the, the implication to what you just said, Chris, is, okay, what do we do with that knowledge? What does that mean for me, right? How does that change the way I live my life because I now know the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit or the Ten Commandments or, or whatever it may be? And I think that's the challenge for us as, as catechists. Now, uh, the, the, but, but that's one of the other challenges, I think, is how we form catechists, right? Because so many of our catechists are our volunteers, rightly so. And I, but the, the textbook becomes a default, right? It becomes, a, I don't know what to teach, so I'm going to teach from this textbook. And that's where it, it's become really helpful. I know one of the elements of this directory for catechesis is going to talk about how do we form catechists. And we're not going to talk about that today, but that's part of the obstacle as well in terms of this classroom model is, is we've got to form, uh, form the catechists. And really, all, this is what I tell people in the trainings I do, Chris, before we move on to the, the next obstacle, is I tell it's like catechists only need to know one thing. They need to know their story and why this is so important to them, why church is so important to them. That, that is inviting. That is what people are drawn into. You know? and, and everything else can be learned. Everything else can be taught. But if they know their story and are willing to share the story, well, then that is really living this idea of witness, right? That Pope Paul VI in Evangelization of the Modern World said in 1975, people listen more willingly to witnesses than teachers. That's what we need, right? We need to train our catechists and ourselves to share our story and be that witness. And that is very different than a classroom model. But the classroom model becomes easy because I just follow a textbook. 
Now, let's be clear. Again, I'm not against publishers because there are amazing books and, and things out there. But, you know, people produce, companies produce what we consume. And if we don't consume it, they won't produce it anymore, right? That, that's, that's the economy of supply and demand, right? You know, you know uh, and that's just the reality of where it works. So if models start to change, well, then publishers may have to think that through differently because we're not going to be consuming textbooks in the same way. But again, I don't think that's going to be immediate change. I think that's going to be a slow transition over time. Definitely, definitely. So that's one obstacle we have to overcome. And, you know, it, it'll definitely um, be something that uh, we'll address in, as we review um, this directory as it comes out. Um, but what, what's the second obstacle that uh, the article talks about? Yeah, absolutely. So the second one, he says, is the mentality by which catechesis becomes the condition for receiving a particular sacrament of initiation with a consequent void opening up once initiation has ended. All right, so here's how I read this really, is that, that we have so aligned sacramental preparation with catechesis that what happens is, and this is what he's saying, and we see this all the time, is that once catechesis is quote-unquote done or confirmation is quote-unquote done or whatever sacrament, right, that then they fall off, that there's nothing else, right? Because everything we do is about the catechesis for the sacrament, that we're not providing anything wider, you know, uh, renewing the vision, uh, the do 1997 document on youth ministry, we'll call it comprehensive youth ministry, right? A comprehensive ministry. How do we provide a comprehensive ministry where catechesis is one element of it, but not the sole element, right? And that's the argument. Catechesis has become the sole element of, of the sacraments of initiation that then once the sacraments are done, there's nothing else, right? And we always joke about this in certainly youth ministry circles. It's like confirmation is a graduation. Once, once, once they finish, peace, we'll never see you again. If we're lucky, we'll see you at your marriage or your kid's baptism, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, because like we... We, we forget about how even the sacraments can link together and how, um, you know, they can be these periods in a, a person's life, but not these endpoints, right? And, um, and, and how they flow together. And, and the way that, one thing that's always fascinated me is how we've tried to link them together through this like mandatory, you must, right? Like, uh, so to fill the gap between first communion and confirmation just because I think this is where it's the most apparent, like you have to do two, three years of like preparation, right? From, uh, so if you get confirmed in eighth grade, you know, like by the time a kid starts to lose interest after first communion, and I'm doing air quotes, which people can't see, but when you start to lose interest after first communion, like at least now we can start to hook them back in with this requirement of catechesis before confirmation, right? And then, uh, you know, it gets thrown out there that whole, uh, we always call these lies my mother told me, right? My Catholic mother told me, like, if I don't get confirmed, I can't get married in the Catholic church, right? And so um, I have to get confirmed in order to get married in the Catholic church um, along those lines. Or like, there's other like little lies or rules or misinformation that we throw into it. When really, um, and this is the thing that I've, I've always tried to push in is you build in a culture of catechesis throughout your parish. Right. And, and hopefully the desire is deep enough where people start to respond. How do I go deeper? And that's where you're like, okay, here are the sacraments, right? Not that the sacraments are the only way to go deeper, but the sacraments are a way for us 
yeah, to be more intimate with Christ, to be more intimate with the Holy Spirit. And it's a response to good catechesis instead of the opposite, which sometimes we portray sacraments as being the reason for catechesis. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's going to be, that's going to be a huge cultural shift. Um, or at least for a long time, I felt like that was going to be a hard communication cultural shift, but I don't know with people being more disenfranchised and disconnected from the Catholic church, it, it, it it's kind of weird for me to say it. And I'm interested in your thoughts, but because so many people are disaffiliating themselves with the Catholic church, when we bring them back in, or as we bring them back in, there won't necessarily need to be a corrective of information on catechesis as much as it is an introduction of what catechesis is supposed to be. I don't know if that makes sense, what your thoughts are on that, but um, that's just kind of where my mind's been. Yeah, I think you're right. And look, the sacraments really are, should be about conversion, right? You know, and it's the conversion, and this is my own story, right? It's, it wasn't the catechesis that got me into uh into faith it was the conversion now catechesis was a part of that but it wasn't the only part of it right and so if the sacraments are about conversion what i've discovered chris is that the because of my conversion experience now i do want to go deeper right and so and that's where we talk about this lifelong formation type of thing right i am uh, i am constantly learning and i have embraced this idea of lifelong learning not because a catechist told me I had to or taught me anything, but because I had a conversion experience, I experienced Christ in my life and continue to experience Christ in my life. That makes me so passionate about this, which is why we do this podcast in the first place, Chris, right? And so, and, and it's, it's, it, it connects with a lot of things that we've talked about for, before. Sherry Waddell, Forming Intentional Disciples, you know, it's like, you know, really talks about that conversion transformation being the key pinnacle point, you know, to the continued process, right? Uh, uh, growing an engaged church says belonging leads to believing, focusing on relationships first. So that's what delves people in first. Uh, and so, you know, it, the sacrament's about conversion and not about fulfilling certain requirements. But that's how we've, we've you know, shrunk it down. We, we've actually minimized the impact of the sacraments because we've, you know, shrunk it down to, you got to do this, 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 and this, and then you can get confirmed. Now, I'm not against doing this, 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 and this, because some of those things are really good, for instance. In youth, a lot of youth ministry and, and confirmation programs, retreats, for instance, and justice experiences are, are, are quote-unquote requirements. Now, that's not a bad thing, because we know that those are two things that really bring on transformation and conversion, right? So I, I fully embrace that idea, but part of it's that subtle shift of language, you know, and moving this idea from requirements, right? Uh, and that's going to be a change. But again, that just is really much connected to the first obstacle, which is that classroom model, right? You know, because we know it's very clear, <clears throat> what do I need to fulfill to move from second grade to third grade or to graduate from high school, right? And we're just, we're following that reality, right? Which is very much part of our American culture as well. And, but I'm glad he's naming it as an obstacle. It's like, oh, let's focus on conversion, versus requirements right and i think that's the transition and i think people are already starting to move in that direction i don't think this is new chris that's that's my feeling is i don't think some of this stuff we're talking about with these three obstacles is new i just appreciate that the messaging is less subtle than it used to be it's much more obvious which is why i loved his press conference talking about these three obstacles 
So the third one, he says this, the third is the exploitation of a sacrament in the name of pastoral strategy so that the time frame for confirmation is dictated by the need not to lose the small flock of young people remaining in the parish rather than by the significance which the sacrament possesses. So <laughs> we can get into this whole conversation. We should probably link to our restored ordered podcast that we've did and stuff like that. But it's this, what the language that I've used is treating specifically confirmation. Cause that's what he's named treating confirmation as a carrot on a stick to hold people on to the church as long as possible. Uh, and, and he's like, that's gotta go right. That that's a leadership pastoral strategy that just, doesn't work because it's not focusing on the greater uh, population of folks in our parishes uh, who, who need and desire the sacraments or, or should desire the sacraments. And I just love that. Right. And, and he goes on to say like, look, this is a battle that's probably not worth fighting right now in terms of when confirmation happens and things like that. And, and the Vatican has always been clear, like we're not going to dictate the age of the sacraments that's up for the local uh, bishops to make that determination, you know, but he sees the reality of what we've turned specifically confirmation. I know this is true in the United States into this carrot so we can hold them on as long as possible till 10th grade or whenever grade, but it doesn't work because they still leave afterwards. Right. And so I think it's really closely connected with the other two obstacles. I just love that. He's naming that like that's a, he's saying that's not a good pastoral strategy. Well, it goes back to the belief that uh, catechesis ends after confirmation, right? That like, once I'm confirmed, I don't need to be formed any further in my faith. When we all know it's a lifelong process. And so you have good catechesis. It doesn't matter what sacrament you're receiving. You shouldn't see a drop off. You should see, if anything, a, a further engagement um, because that there's something more, you know, and um and that's usually what we're hoping for anytime we hit a life stage is what's next. What is there for, you know, more and, 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 you know, to take it out of a faith context, just a life concept context. Like I graduate high school, what else is there for me in the rest of this world? Oh, further education, workforce, things like that, you know? Um, uh, and, and so I, I think it's, that's where we, you know, it, it makes me wonder like how we get caught up in so many different things that we forget about that that we forget that um, it's not about just dragging people along, but it's about creating further opportunities for them, you know, beyond just the sacramental prep, how we get stuck in the business-like or busyness of church ministry. Um, you know, because even going back to what you were saying about requirements for retreats and service hours, right? You know, those are things that people in the world crave anyway. Like, you know, even to the point where people are challenging, like, I don't, do I have to be a Christian in order to do you know, to help other people, right? Do I need to like go, like, do I need to believe in God in order to escape and, you know, go on some kind of retreat? Like I know tons of people who aren't Catholic, who aren't Christian, who go on meditation retreats, who are part of, you know, meditation groups because they're looking for that retreat from the world. I know tons of people who are not Catholic or Christian who are involved in social justice out there. And in the world. And it's just what that tells me is that we as a church are just not either articulating or providing enough for those, or we create so many hoops for people to jump through. And so, you know, with that last obstacle of seeing confirmation as like a graduation or as an endpoint or, or dragging people along with the age thing, 
I think if we're like providing real catechesis and a, a culture of growth and formation, you know, no matter what age you're in, that um, that we're not going to have to worry about that as an obstacle. But you're right; it is it, it it's amazing the peop the the emotion and the thought process people have behind should be when you're 13 or 16 or eight years old or restored order, you know, things along those lines. So um, yeah, lots to figure out. Well, yeah, and I think it's really connected to what we've talked about before, too, about this apprentice-based model formation, right? That was the workshop I did at the Religious Education Congress, you know, and, and, and we spent some time talking about this podcast as well, is, 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 is how do we get them engaged in the work of the church, right, as opposed to just being in a classroom? And that, that is a shift, but one that the church has been calling us to. And so, again, I'm really interested to see what the director for catechesis is going to say is really kind of delve into it because again, focus on the methodology of how we, how we do catechesis. Now, now he didn't, he didn't come up with four obstacles, but Chris, but I'm going to name the fourth obstacle, which we've already started to name. Uh, this is, this is me saying it. this is not the Vatican saying this, but me saying this is it's us. We're the fourth obstacle, Chris, right? Those of us who are administering the church and leaders of the church really have to get out of our comfort zone of doing the th things we've always done uh, and really look to be innovative, right? And, and one of the, th the challenges I keep pushing myself and others is like, expect resistance, right? Because, you know, if we, if we back down when we get resistance about any change that we decide to do in the church, well, it's easy to back to fall back into the old models of doing things. So I think the fourth obstacle is us and our willingness to embrace these two new types of methodologies and think differently. And, and it, and I get how, I get how comfortable it is to do what we did last year uh, and to just kind of, you know, keep it going because it seems to be working, but it, I think we have to really evaluate, is it working, you know, and how do we change and innovate? And this is what I think this time in particular, Chris, is so exciting is because we can't do what we've always done. Now, we've spent plenty of time talking about COVID. And in our next episode, Chris, we're going to talk about what formation in the fall can look like, you know, in this COVID world where we just have to be flexible, right? And that, that's a sticking point that that people really have, right? Um, you know, this is that opportunity to embrace some of these things and to think really differently about it so that we don't become the obstacle. Uh, and, and again, I go back to is like, there are no expectations. Uh, parishioners have no expectations of what church is going to look like in the future, because I think the longer this plays out, this COVID thing plays out, the, the more people just throw throw everything up in the air and say, forget it, right? You know, that could be a really good thing in terms of really innovating and looking differently about how we embrace the methodology that the new director for catechesis is encouraging us to do. And so we're going to delve into that a little bit more in our, in our next episode. But uh, I'm really excited about the director for catechesis. I'm excited that they named these three obstacles because I think they are pertinent. I think a lot of us knew these obstacles already. So I don't think they're surprised to most of us, but I just love that the Vatican is saying, these are it. We've got to work through them. I'm like, boom. It's like, it's like laying down the challenge. Like let's, let's accept that challenge as leaders, you know, in the church, let's accept it. And like, let's embrace those obstacles for what they are and try to find a way to move beyond it, especially this year 
because we're going to have to do things differently this year anyways. And that, that's exciting. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And uh, I'm excited about it. And, you know, it's fine. We, we have to look at, I, I think the fourth obstacle you present is definitely something that we have to look at with ourselves, right? We have to definitely uh, address with our um, selves and that's going to take a lot. And I know, you know, we want to leave people with a couple of practical steps, right? Before, you know, we address it. And one would be to start reading up on just the different materials that are coming out about this uh, directive um, on catechesis. Uh, even though the book is not available yet or the document's not available, there's uh, still plenty of uh, commentary on it that um, is, it can be and is helpful. Maybe we can uh, post one or two of those in our show notes, including this article um, that we're referencing. But um, I, I also think, um, you know, the other part is, is start looking at like, you know, your own program, start doing an assessment of the way that you do catechesis, whether you're overseeing RCIA or uh, formation for children or youth or confirmation prep, or, you know, even especially pastors, right? It is it, when you look at catechesis as a whole, um, how do they fit into these four obstacles that we presented today? And uh, what are, um, you know, some of the uh, areas that you need to address first. And hopefully um, in our next episode, as well as future episodes, we can address this a little bit further um, and, uh, and, and help you do that. But, you know, we understand that this is a large challenge. And so you might need a little bit of accompaniment or guidance along the way. So uh, if you want to do that, uh, I definitely recommend reaching out to Parish Success Group and uh, our buddy, John Rinaldo right here. And John, if people want to reach you, what's the best way that they can do this? Yeah, reach out to us at parishsuccessgroup.com. Uh, it's always a great way to, to connect with us. All of our information is there. Cool. Awesome. And uh, if you want to reach out to just John personally, just to talk, you know, uh, life and uh, Twitter and uh, not Facebook anymore, which we've got to address that some other time. But, uh, you know, how, how can they get in touch with you, John? Yeah, uh, at Twitter, I'm just at John Ronaldo. It's just my name. And, and today I, I posted uh, the recording of this episode. I posted a reflection that I've been having on Twitter about the difference between the Catholic Church as institution and the Catholic Church as faith. And uh, yeah, I, I've already had some really interesting responses from much more learned people than me. So I was like, hmm, well, this, maybe I hit a nerve here. So those are the types of fun conversations that I, I like to get onto social media. I'll have to troll that post. But anyway, uh, if you want to reach me, you can find me at all things Marathon Youth Ministry or go to marathonyouthministry.com. But of course, if you have questions, if there are topics that you want to talk about here on the Church Podcast, just shoot us an email, questions at thechurchpodcast.org um, or visit our website, thechurchpodcast.org. And uh, it, no matter how you listen, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes or anywhere podcasts are listen, we would love that review, that five-star review and share this with your friends so that we can continue to have these conversations to help you do church better. Um, but other than that, John, thanks for bringing this topic up and, uh, and getting the ball rolling on this. Uh, let's close in prayer. Absolutely. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this time for us to uh, talk about the way that we witness to one another, that we pass along the truth, the love, the gospel, the good news, Lord, um, to not just uh, future generations and younger generations, Lord, but to to the people in our lives, the people in our communities, and uh, especially our parish communities. And so, God, I ask that you um, you remind us that uh, it, it's all about loving you. It's all about honoring you and, and, and loving others, Lord, and learning how we love ourselves. 
and taking the time to just slow things down and not necessarily get it done, but Lord, to um, just be with you and sit with you. And I ask as we go through this uh, interesting season, Lord, um, that you uh, remind us that we're not alone and that we don't have to figure this out on our own because we have you and we have the church by our side. Lord, we love you in your name and pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.